you've caught us on the front end of a teaching series on the Holy Spirit. That's where the Holy Ghost, ghost stories idea comes from. But the Holy Spirit, that's what we're talking about. This week, next week, the next, and the next. And maybe you say, well, you know, I know about God and I'm really interested in Jesus, but who or what the heck is this Holy Spirit? Well, maybe this will help. If you're really into construction, uh, building, this helps me, maybe it'll help you. Look at the very, very first sentence in the Bible. First sentence in the Bible, Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God. Now that word, God, in English, uh, the Old Testament part of the Bible was written in Hebrew. And this is the very first name of God given to us. And the word means, or the word is Elohim. Most significantly, it's in the plural. This, when it says God, this is God the Father, this is God the Son, Jesus, and this is God the Holy Spirit at work together in this massive, mind-blowing creation of the cosmos. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so from a uh, construction perspective, God is the architect. He's the divine designer of all that is. But look at the second sentence in the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse two, earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, hovered like a bird above the watery abyss. Now, what is the Holy Spirit doing? Everything below him, under him, is chaos and nothing. The Holy Spirit is the engineer bringing order to all the chaos. And I'm grateful for that aspect of his work in my life. Bringing order to the chaos. And so you say, okay, I get this. God the Father, he's the architect, divine designer. Okay, Holy Spirit is the engineer bringing order to the chaos. But what role does Jesus play? Well, where is Jesus in all this? Well, John... In his gospel, he opens with the creation story, and here's what he writes about Jesus. Before anything else existed, there was Christ with God. He has always been alive and is himself God. Jesus, God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Jesus made everything. God the Father, the architect, Holy Spirit, the engineer, Jesus is the builder. Now maybe you're not <laughs> into construction at all. And, and I'm not either. My wife hides tools from me. She knows she'll have to come around and fix whatever it is I break. But yesterday, somebody, a couple of weeks ago, I, I think they fell asleep. I, I'm I guess, or maybe they were elebrated, but they came off the road about eight feet and wiped out my mailbox. Boy, you, I oughta. Um, and so I had some friends and uh, the mailbox is back up. So yesterday I got out there with some reflective tape. I snuck behind my wife's back and put that tape on the mailbox so you know where my house is when you come trick-or-treating next year. But I'm more into relationships 
And maybe you are too. Maybe you value oneness uh, with your spouse or maybe a, a sense of oneness with your children is really a premium for you. Or you value oneness in your friendships. Well, our God, our God is three persons in one. All three, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, they are all spirits so they can unify and yet be one and keep their unique and distinctive purposes and personalities. And I like this helps me. Maybe this will help you. God, relationally, he's my father. I get that. He's my perfect heavenly father. Jesus, he's my savior. He is God, but... He came to earth through human birth, lived a sinless life in every way that I have failed miserably, that you have failed miserably. He passed every temptation and test with flying colors, had a perfect sinless life. This is huge because I have all sorts of ugly, evil imperfections and so do you. But on the cross, Jesus laid down his perfect life imputing to me when I believe that Jesus is God who died on the cross to pay for my sins and God raised him from the dead. All my ugly, evil imperfections are put on him and all his perfection is put on me. Everything wrong with me is put on Jesus and everything right with Jesus is put on me. Everything bad about you is put on Jesus and everything good about Jesus is put on you. Give me a... Yeah, baby. Okay, so... That's how I, I relate with Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit then, relationally, he's my helper. Now don't for a second think that that means he's my assistant. Because all throughout the Old Testament part of the Bible, whenever the word helper appears, it's the Hebrew word ezer. And ezer means, it's a military term, it means mighty warrior. So... This is the relationship you and I get to have with the Holy Spirit when he fills our lives, directs our lives. He's our mighty warrior. The great news is life is a battle. We got to battle our way to a good marriage. Parenting is a battle. We got to battle for our emotional and mental well-being. We go through financial battles, battles at work, battles at home, health issues, spiritual battles, but we have in the Holy Spirit, he helps us by being our mighty warrior. Check this out. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit guides you to victory as you obey God's word. As your mighty warrior, here's the deal. If we would see from a sports standpoint that the Holy Spirit is the greatest, most phenomenal coach ever, this is the greatest, most phenomenal playbook Ever. And as you execute the play, as you obey what God's word says for your marriage, the Holy Spirit, the mighty warrior goes ahead of you and wins victories in your marriage. As you obey what God's, God's word says about parenting, the Holy Spirit goes ahead of you as a mighty warrior and wins victories in your marriage. As you obey what God's word says about your finances, the Holy Spirit goes ahead of you and wins victories for you in your finances. Life is a struggle. But we have one who longs to live within us. And as we allow him full residence in our life, he goes ahead of us winning victories in every area of our life. And I want to show you today for your life and mine how this works by pointing out the partnership that Jesus shared 
with the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're like, well, I thought Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God, why would he need the mighty warrior in him? Well, here's what the Bible says. This is the first letter Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. But what I'm about to read to you is a song people sang in church every weekend. Here's the song they sang. Though Christ was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up. That word in the Greek means to pour out. He poured out of himself all his divine privileges. I want you to hold on to that phrase. What were these divine privileges that Jesus let go of, that Jesus gave up to come to earth by human birth? to be with us, to be one of us, to be for us, fully God and fully man all at the same time. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Well, Bible scholars, they say that those divine privileges, they call them the omnis, the omnipresence, God's capacity to be everywhere at once. His omniscience, that he is all-knowing. His omnipotence, that he is all-powerful. These are the attributes of the divine privileges of God that Jesus poured out of himself to take on flesh, to become human, to be one of us. And it is so huge for us. I mean, this was a part of, of the necessary plan because when Jesus faced struggles, and he did, he, every trial and test and temptation we faced, he faced. And he did it without his divine privileges. Look at the word of God. Book of Hebrews says, it was absolutely necessary for Jesus to be made in every way like us so that he could sacrifice himself for the forgiveness of our sins. On the cross, he was fully human. When they lashed his back and pulled at his beard and beat his face and clubbed his head, it was agonizing. When the nails went through his wrists and through his feet, it was horrific pain. He felt it all. He absorbed it all to pay for my sins. He was, take, he was my substitute, taking the punishment. I was, he was your substitute. He was taking your place, getting the penalty for all your sins, it was absolutely necessary that he become like us in every way. So he gave up his omnipresence. He gave up his omnipotence and his omniscience, being all-knowing. So maybe you're thinking, well, you know, even people that don't believe Jesus is God like we do, they acknowledge that he's like this genius level, brilliant teacher. And how could Jesus teach with such brilliance if he wasn't all-knowing? And even historical record outside the Bible validates that Jesus worked wonders, healed the sick, restored sight to the blind, cast out demons. How does Jesus cast out a demon, restore the sight of the blind, heal the sick, and raise the dead if he is not all-powerful? How does that work? Well, one time Jesus was personally attacked by a bunch of religious guys holier than thou's 
who were accusing him because of his miracles, because he cast out demons. And he answers that question about how he was able to do it. If he's not all powerful, how does he do it? Check it out. Here's what Jesus says. It is by the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of God within me that I cast out demons, heal the sick, give sight to the blind. Raise the dead. It was the Spirit of God in Christ that produced the astounding teaching, that produced the mind blowing miracles. And here's the deal here's what I want you to get. Because what it was for Jesus, who the Holy Spirit was and how he worked in Jesus, is who he is and how he longs to work in you. And for Jesus, it began at his baptism. Let me show you. The work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus started where it starts for you at baptism. All the folks that were baptized here and in an earlier service, they received the Holy Spirit in that moment. Peter, when he gets a first shot at preaching a gospel sermon, he says, hey, this is the climax of his message. He says, you guys want to know how to be saved? Repent of your sin. Turn away from your sin. Turn to God and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. Why? To receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so let me take you into the baptism event of Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, he's not a baby. He's 30 years old. And he's on a 70-mile hike Walking away from his mom, his siblings, his business, his hometown, a 70-mile hike down to where his cousin, John the Baptist, is baptizing people. 70 miles, I don't know how many days. I'm going to guess that every day, every stride, he's thinking about what he's going to do. Every night when he wakes up, he thinks about the why, the purpose of what he's going to do in being, he's surrendering to God in baptism. Full surrender, humble Surrender, And it wasn't hard to find the spot where Jesus, excuse me, where John was baptized. Scripture says there were crowds of people, people standing in line, waiting their turn. Guess what Jesus does? He's got like one of those line passes at Disney World and he goes right to the front of the line. No, Jesus gets in line with a bunch of sinners like me and you. He's not a sinner. He's known no sin. He's done no sin. He has battled his way through every temptation and will continue to in our behalf. But he identifies with us. I'm here as one of you. I'm here to be with you. I'm here to be for you. And when it's his turn and he steps into the murky depths of the water and when I say that, oh my gosh, my mind flashes to the times that I've baptized people in the Jordan River, probably a half a dozen times. And of those six times I've baptized people, twice I've been baptized in the Jordan. And I knew this is not the same spot where Jesus was baptized, but man, every time I've been baptized, once as a kid, like 11 or 12 years old, and then twice as an adult, it was even more meaningful, more profound in its beauty each time. But now Jesus, it's him, 33 AD, he's wading out into the depths of the Jordan. And John's like, hey, I know you. If somebody baptizes somebody today, you should baptize me. And Jesus says a profound thing. In the King James, it's, this is to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, I'm doing what's right in God's eyes. 
Now, if the sinless Christ is standing in line to be baptized, then what would prevent a gross sinner like me from being baptized? I need it. If it's right in the eyes of God for his son to be baptized, it is right in God's eyes for you and I to be baptized. So John is like, okay, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. He takes Jesus in his strong arms and bam, puts him under the water. And they're cousins, so he holds him down for like five minutes. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, here's what happens when John brings Jesus up out of the water. Look at the word of God. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened and he saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove and settle on him. Descend like a dove? That's from verse two, chapter one of the first book of the Bible where the Holy Spirit, the engineer, is hovering over the chaos. A new creation is unfolding, a spiritual creation, a creation where Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and wants to reign in our lives. I'm not done. The Holy Spirit settles on Jesus and a voice from heaven was heard, boop, that said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. All all of you who just experienced Christ fully by sharing in his death, burial, and resurrection and baptism, all of you this morning, all of you who have been buried with Christ and raised up by the supernatural power of God, same power that raised Jesus from the dead, I believe those of you who are yet to be, when you are, I believe God sighs over your soul. You are my beloved child in whom you bring me great joy. Now in the first chapter of John, he tells us that the Holy Spirit doesn't just settle on Jesus. This is not just like a fly by one and done. He abides, he remains, he stays. He doesn't just settle, settle, he stays. And the Greek word that John uses is meno. And meno means to fully reside. Jesus opens himself up in full surrender and the Holy Spirit takes up full residence in his life. That's possible for me. That's how I want to live. That's possible for you. That's how I want you to live with the Holy Spirit having full residence in your life. And when the Holy Spirit has full residence in my life, in your life, what's the first thing he does? Well, here's the first thing he did for Jesus. Look at the word of God. End of chapter three, Matthew climaxes with the baptism of Jesus. Here's the first thing the Holy Spirit does in chapter four. Verse one, then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is huge for me because the the times in my life when I've done the leading, I've made, I've just wrecked relationships. I've I've been wrecked emotionally, depressed, anxiety-ridden. I'm trying to steer my own life. I've got like making the Holy Spirit ride in the passenger seat. That's why I have this steering wheel up here, okay? This is what the Holy Spirit does when you allow him full residence. 
He leads you by steering your life into what's best for you. He leads you by steering your life into greater strength, into healing, into joy, into peace. He leads your life by steering you into what is most beautiful for your life. I'm struggling with this right now. Last year, my eye doctor signed off on, to the state of Wisconsin that I could drive from our church to my home at night, like when Saturday night service was over. She tested my eyes this year and says, you can't see a stinking thing. That was doctor language. But she says, you, you're no longer allowed to drive after dark. And so now, I have a very beautiful, smoking chauffeur, my wife. <sighs> Last Saturday night, Treat Street is over. We're parked out in the plaza. And I get in the passenger seat. I'm thinking of cuss words. And my Debbie puts the car in reverse. I do what I should never be allowed to do. I look in the side mirror. It's none of my business anymore. I'm not the one. And so I said, Deb, you might wanna hit the brake. I thought I saw people behind us. She said, I might wanna hit you. I'm the driver, your baggage. She didn't, she didn't say any of that, but it got some cheap laughs. But now I have to submit to someone else in control of the vehicle. It's not easy. My only hope is right here and full surrender. It's right believing that Jesus, he found the Holy Spirit to steer and lead his life. It's believing that when I surrender fully to the Holy Spirit and he's allowed to fill me and lead me, that he lead, believes he will get me from point A to point B in my marriage, point A to point B in my parenting, point A to point B in my finances, point A to point B in my emotions, if I let him steer so here's my encouragement. Let the mighty warrior take the lead in your life. Now, I have been here for 40 years in Wisconsin, but the first six years of my ministry were in Evansville, Indiana. And Evansville is right down in the tippy, tippy bottom of Indiana, right on the Kentucky state line. Those folks are Southern folks. I came up here saying, y'all, I've got that out of my system now. But they would give weather advisories because when it would, my wife cried the first year in Evansville because it didn't snow a flake. She was living with a flake. Um, but when it did snow, even a little bit, those people would just get in their cars and crash into each other. They didn't know how to drive on snow. In fact, this was a weather advisory for people in the South. If you rarely drive on snow, just pretend you're taking your grandma to church. There's a platter of biscuits and two open jars of sweet tea on the back seat. She's wearing a new dress and holding a crock pot full of gravy. <laughs> now I know those of you from Wisconsin, that doesn't translate well. So let me give you a Wisconsinite's translation. If you rarely drive on snow, 
Just pretend that you're driving your grandma to church and there's a tray of brats and two open cans of beer on the back seat. <laughs> your grandma's got a new dress and she's holding a crock pot full of chili. <laughs> but, you, but you get the point. <laughs> okay, maybe you don't get the point. Okay, Jesus receives the Holy Spirit of baptism. That's where the work started. Had not done one miracle, had not done one teaching, but then he is filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. And then we see this phrase in Luke chapter four. He left his hometown, came to be baptized, received the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit. Now he's returning to his hometown. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not impose himself on you. He waits for your invitation. And so every day and throughout the day, I pray, Holy Spirit, please come fill me. Holy Spirit, lead me. I have a prayer for you today. Next week, I will teach you how to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm encouraging you today, let the mighty warrior fill your life. Because if you come to church and all you've got is a little bit of God, you are a danger to yourself and to others. You're as dangerous as me behind the wheel of the car after dark. When you only have a little bit of God, you, you, you tend, I tend to make, I was just said this, when I've only had a little bit of God, I've made a mess of my parenting. I've made painful messes in my marriage. I've made a mess of our finances with only a little bit of God. That's why I have this great glass of uh, white milk here um, because I'm gonna suggest to you that when you are filled, not just a little bit, several years ago, but before I was, um, had to take insulin as a diabetic, I was going home from church after a Saturday night and I was gonna make a milkshake. Had ice cream in the glass, some milk in the glass, and I grabbed the Hershey's and it was almost empty. Dang it. So I'm cheap. I didn't wanna go buy another one, so I turned it upside down. Do you ever do this? You're probably not as cheap as me. And I'm slinging it like this. I'm tired, I'm not thinking, but I'm, I'm feeling. I open my eyes and my feet are striped with chocolate syrup. The tops come off. The refrigerator is striped with chocolate syrup. The ceiling is striped. This is not one of those level ceilings. This is one of those goofy artistic ceilings and it's chocolate air, the wall, chocolate. How am I gonna clean this mess up before my wife comes down? I've learned, if you've only got a little bit of God, you're gonna make a mess. The idea is to be filled. Oh yeah, baby. Excuse me. Here's the deal. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it changes everything. He leads you into beauty and goodness that you would never find on your own. He works all things together. When you are filled, it changes you, transforms you from the inside out. I've got three little grandchildren. I've got a big grandchild and yeah, I'm making another mess. But if I give them the choice of vanilla milk, thank you, 
You can take that home with you. <laughs> Only because I'm diabetic. Um, my grandchildren, if I give them the choice of white milk or chocolate milk, guess what they want? Chocolate, why? Because when, when the milk is filled with the chocolate, when it's full, it changes everything. It changes the color of the milk. It changes the texture of the milk. Some of you are going through withdrawal right now. It changes the color. It changes the taste. It changes the texture. It changes everything. And I'm saying... I choose the Holy Spirit because this is how he changes us, me and you. Check it out. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, um, I, I want to pray over you right now. Um, if you'll stand with me, please. This is the prayer we want you to take home and put on your bathroom mirror, stick in your Bible or stick on your fridge so you remember to pray it every day. I'm gonna ask that you pray it aloud with me right now. Here we go together, beginning with the word come. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence as you filled Jesus so that I will worship the Father with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Empower me as you empower Jesus. Lead me as you led Jesus and teach me with the truth of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week. Oh,